Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we're continuing our series in the Psalms of Ascent with James Jordan, and here Jordan's going to be discussing Psalm 121. Here we want to let you know at the outset that the first 30 to 60 seconds of this talk is a little bit muffled, but it smooths out after that. And again, like last week, I did take a few seconds to record a quick chant of this psalm. That chant setting can be found in our Theopolis Liturgy and Psalter. Do take a look at those links down there in the show notes. We have a couple of events coming up, including the Theopolitan Ministry Conference in the month of July. And coming up soon in the month of May, we have an intensive course with Rich Bledsoe and Peter Lightheart on a theology of history. Links to those events are down there in the show notes, as well as links to all of our social media channels and our YouTube channel. We want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy this short time of teaching. And here is James Jordan discussing Psalm 121. Psalms of Ascent, from all we can tell, were the songs that were sung by the people as they walked or journeyed toward Jerusalem for the three great feasts, particularly the greatest of the feasts, which was the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the first song, Psalm 120, by the way, these are 120 through 134, you can always remember that the Psalms of Ascent are the shortest Psalms in the Bible, and they take up right after the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. But the first of the Psalms of Ascent was the song of a man who, though a true believer, was dwelling among the heathen, far away from Jerusalem, and now he begins to set out on his journey. He's glad to leave behind the vicious, lying tongues of the wicked who live around him, because when he speaks for peace, they want to speak for war. They continually harass and give him trouble. Such is the situation under the Old Covenant when the church is in its minority, and that continues to be the case today when the church is in conditions of weakness. But now, as the pilgrims begin to come toward Jerusalem, they sing also Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who built heaven and earth. May he not allow your foot to slip. May he who keeps you not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord will protect you or guard you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains is a reference to looking toward Jerusalem. Actually, it doesn't say lift up mine eyes here as it does other places, but actually, more literally, I will direct mine eyes to the mountains. And the reference here is to the mountains which are around Mount Zion, or actually Zion itself. Zion is one of several mountains which are in a range. Mount Moriah, where Isaac was sacrificed, and later on where the temple was built. Some expositors have felt that this should really be translated, I will direct my eyes to the mountain taking mountain here as a plural of majesty, and that since it's a reference to God's mountain, that's why it's plural just as the word Elohim, the word for God, is plural in the Bible. But whichever way we take it, it's a reference to Mount Zion. 
And this is an answer to the prayer of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8. We might not like to turn around to too many places in the Bible, but let's do look at 1 Kings 8 and see something about how people fought toward God in the Old Testament. We'll just look at a few verses here. 1 Kings 8, verse 33. Solomon prays, as the temple is consecrated, When thy people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against thee, if they turn to thee again and confess thy name and pray and make supplication to thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel. You see, God's house there in Jerusalem was his meeting place with men on earth. It's an important location. And then in verse 35, When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, and they pray toward this place and confess thy name, and turn from their sin when thou dost afflict them, then hear thou in heaven. It's like there's a ladder from earth to heaven at this place, and of course that's exactly what it is. Jacob sees a ladder reaching from earth to heaven, and he builds an altar there, and it's called Bethel, house of God. Well, now that's been moved, but this is still the place where there is a ladder from earth to heaven with the angels on it. Jesus later on says to Nathanael in John chapter 1, You will see the Son of Man and angels ascending and descending on him. So Jesus claims to be that ladder which reaches from earth to heaven. He is the true Tower of Babel. He is the true Jacob's ladder. Angels ascend and descend on him. And here on this mountain in the middle of the world is this ladder which reaches to heaven. And that is where if people, even if they can't go there, if they will simply pray toward in the direction of Jerusalem, then the prayer goes up the ladder and God hears in heaven. Now, that's not just for kids. That's really the way they were to think. Because God had really put his name there, and God was really there in a special way. Now, also in verse 42, this is throughout the prayer. Well, let's start in verse 41. Here's a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. Also concerning the foreigner who is not of thy people Israel, when he comes from a far country for thy name's sake. You see, the foreigners came to the Feast of Tabernacles. Because they will hear of thy great name and thy mighty hand and of thine outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, in the direction of the house, hear thou in heaven in thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the foreigner asks. And then in verse 44, When thy people go out to battle against their enemies by whatever way thou shalt send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city which thou hast chosen and the house which I have built for thy name. So there begins to be an expansion. It's not just the house, but also the city, which is consecrated by having the house in its midst. And then in verse 48, this is the conclusion of a long petition here, but just reading at the beginning of 48. If they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul, in the land of their enemies who have taken them captive, and pray to thee toward the land which thou hast given to their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause. So the farther away you are, obviously, the more general the area toward which you pray. But even if you've been captured and taken in a foreign land, and the petitions in 1 Kings 8 tend to follow the curses of Deuteronomy 28, as a series of petitions which escalate 
just as there are a series of curses in Deuteronomy 28 that escalate. But here at the end, the great curse was to be just like Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, so God's people would be cast out of Israel for their sin. And living in a foreign land, they could address the land. Now, who's an example of somebody who did that? Living in a foreign land, and he always prayed toward the Holy Land, toward Jerusalem, and toward the temple. Daniel, sure. We all know that story. Daniel did, even when he was told not to. So, back to Psalm 121. Now that's some background, how this man is thinking, how these people are thinking, this woman is thinking. I will direct my eyes to the mountain, or to the mountains. From whence shall my help come, he asks. My help comes from the Lord, the one who built heaven and earth. Now, possibly, this can be translated, my help comes from the home of the Lord. It's a little bit different in Hebrew from what one would expect. And I like that. My help comes from the home of the Lord, because the temple, you see, is where he has made his home. It's his home. And that's why when the temple is defiled, it's such a rotten thing. We think of God in the abstract and his temple in the abstract. But when you think of it as God's home, and then you think of the idolatry as a defilement of his home, it becomes more personal, and this is very, very personal. My help comes from the home of the Lord, the one who built heaven and earth. The word is not create here, but built. Just as you build a house, so the Lord built his house. And his home, the temple, is a little model of the whole world, which is his house. It has a blue ceiling with the cherubim on it. And when you step outside, you look up, you see a blue ceiling over the world with the stars, which are emblems of the angels, on it. So you've got this model. And the same Lord who built heaven and earth has built this home and put it in Jerusalem. And that's how sure we may be that his help will be secure. And then there is a request in verse 3. Your version may say he will not allow your foot to slip, but more accurately it's a request. May he not allow your foot to slip. May he who keeps you never slumber. It's a wish. And the wish is answered in verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. You never need to worry. Not like Baal who has to be waked up. You remember Elijah telling the prophets of Baal that maybe he's asleep and he has to be waked up. Not at all. The Lord who keeps Israel never sleeps and he will not allow your foot to slip. Why would you pray a prayer like this when you're going to Jerusalem? Let's say you're coming from a foreign land. Why pray, may he not allow my foot to slip? May he never slumber? Well, because you're on the highway and there are all these robbers and thugs who might attack you and beat you up. You're leaving your land behind wherever you're coming from, whether it's northern Israel or whether it's Meshach or the tents of Kedar, and you're exposed to danger along the road. And so this is a prayer concerned with protection on the journey. With his eyes fastened on the holy mountain, the man prays for protection along the way, that his foot would not slip. Deuteronomy says that the wicked's foot will slide in due time. A very famous sermon was preached on that text. Does anybody know what it is? Their foot will slide in due time. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's the sermon preached on that text by Jonathan Edwards. But here the psalmist requests that his foot would not slip as he travels. And then in the second stanza of the psalm, verses 5 to 8, there is more assurance. The Lord is your keeper. 
The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Actually, guard. He will guard your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. The Lord is your guardian. All of this is about how God guards his people. Just as Adam and Eve were put in the garden and told to guard it, to dress it, and to keep it. But the word keep is guard, to dress it and to guard it, to keep Satan out of it, which they failed to do. But now God says he will guard his people, which are his garden, that he superintends. The Lord is your guardian. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Can anybody remember a time in the Old Testament where God acted as a shade for the people? The cloud in the desert. According to Isaiah, the pillar of cloud kept them cool during the day, and the pillar of fire kept them warm during the night. That part of the world, it gets hot in the day and cold at night because there's not much moisture in the air out in the desert. And so you get extremes of temperature. And the pillar of cloud kept them cool in the day and shaded and warm at night. And all throughout the Bible, you always see God providing shade. That is what these great big green trees in the Bible are all about. A great big green tree is like a cloud. It's like God's glory cloud, the cloud that traveled with them in the wilderness. And you find Abraham sitting under those trees and Deborah under those trees. And it's a picture of an Israelite, isn't it? Because Jesus says again about Nathaniel, Behold, an Israelite indeed, I saw you when you were sitting under the tree. God even provides a tree, a little bush to shade Jonah, and then he takes it away. Very important to notice how God shades his people from the attack of the sun. So God will shade them, and this is a covenant blessing. This is one of the big covenant blessings. That cloud is actually the kingdom of God. And inside the cloud is God's chariot. All this is in Ezekiel 1. Inside that cloud is God's chariot and his throne and all the cherubim. And that cloud of God's kingdom provides shade and protection for us who are on the earth and who are under his care. And then it says, obviously, the sun is not going to smite you by day because of this cloud, nor the moon by night. Well, we're all familiar with what sunstroke is, but we tend not to believe in lunacy. But there is such a thing as lunacy, and I'm not going to try to defend it. You may pick up any study you want on the incidence of crime, and you will find that there is an increase in crime during the full of the moon. Not just an increase in birth and babies, but also an increase in crime. A lot of things happen according to the cycles of the moon, and I don't know why. I don't have to know why. I know statistics, though. And there are problems connected with the moon. I knew a man when I was in college who used to teach Greek. He was a secularist. And he said he had a friend who every month when the moon was full, he went up on top of the apartment building and screamed all night. Primal scream. Well, it's not my idea of fun, but that is very common in the world. And the New Testament even refers to it. Some of you taking notes, just jot down Matthew 17:15, where a man was brought to Jesus and the father says he is an epileptic. But the word for epileptic there is moonstruck moonstruck and there is such a thing as moon madness and there are increases in crimes during the full of the moon but I think that the verse has a more general reference than that remember from Genesis chapter 1 verse 16 the sun was made to rule the day and the moon was made to rule the night and so anything bad that can happen to you during the day whether it's 
heat of the sun or being attacked by robbers is under the government of the sun, and that could be seen as poetically as the sun smiting you. And poetically speaking, anything bad that could happen to you in the nighttime when the moon governs affairs could be seen as the moon striking you. And we see, for instance, in Genesis 31:40, Jacob says that he suffered heat during the day and cold during the night. It's as if when the moon rules time at nighttime, then it's cold and men suffer. And during the time of day when the sun rules, then men suffer from the heat. And these are inadequate governors because of the sin of man. But I think that's more the reference here. Both the sun and the moon, the time which they superintend, is a threat to man, and God will provide protection from not only the physical bodies themselves, but also anything that would happen under their superintendence. And then in summary, since there is no time other than daytime and nighttime, the psalmist can say in verse 7, The Lord will protect you from all evil, that is, guard, He will guard you from all evil. He will guard your soul, which means life. It doesn't mean the inner part of the man. It means the total man as a living being. He will guard your entire life. He will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Going out and coming in simply means everything you do. Particularly, it means your labor. In Psalm 104:23, that's 104, verse 23, There is a reference to man going out to labor and coming in at night to rest. And so the particular meaning is all of your labor God will guard, but actually this becomes a phrase to denote all of life. The Lord will protect everything you do from this time forth and forever. There's tremendous security for the man who leaves his home behind and travels on the road to go to the house of God. I might mention, I didn't look this up so I can't tell you where it is in the law, but The law also says, when it's time to go to the feast, don't worry about your land that you leave behind. Be sure to take all of your servants and all of your family along. And you may wonder that perhaps the enemy may come in and attack your farm while you're away at the feast. But the Lord says he won't do that because I'll prevent him from doing it. There's that guarantee in Deuteronomy or Leviticus somewhere. But it's there and the same kind of protection here is offered. Shall I lift up mine eyes to the mountains? Whence comes my help? My help is from Yahweh, who shaved heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He will not slumber who guards you. Behold, he will not slumber and he will not sleep, guardian of Israel. Yahweh is your guardian, Yahweh is your shade at your right hand. By day the sun will not strike you, nor the moon by night. Yahweh will guard you from all evil, he will guard your soul. Yahweh will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and everlastingly. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, 
age after age, amen. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.